It's Thursday, May 11th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 442 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games on a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 23 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot, my name is Dan, and for this episode you got just me to kind of explain what's been going on. For anyone that's not following us on social media, last week on our normal recording night, that was my mother-in-law's 70th birthday party. And so we were not able to record at our usual time, and so I'm doing a makeup episode for that right now. But our next episode, we'll be back to the regular multi-person recording format. And also something that we are experimenting with, we don't know how far we're going to pursue this, but I'm about to release a Session Zero recording raw that we did of an actual play. And I'm calling this an actual play, but in truth, it was really more of a whim. We decided that we, being the host, wanted to play a game of Skies of Glass, and so we just started doing it and hit record. And out of that came a Session Zero recording. And what I'm going to do for the moment is I'm going to post it on Patreon to anyone that's backing at any level because I want to get sort of a, a focus group to kind of respond to it and give us some more concrete insight on whether they want to see this developed or not. And if that looks like that's going in a positive direction, then this will also be released on a public feed. Now, it will not be the same feed as these episodes, because I know that AP recordings are somewhat divisive. Some people really want them, some people really don't. And so we're going to put that on a separate feed that you will subscribe to or not, in addition to the Fear of the Boot feed that you are subscribing to now. But first, we want to get a couple episodes out and once again, see what a smaller audience thinks of that. So if you're interested in backing that, obviously, patreon.com slash fear the boot, all one word. Check the show notes for that. Or if you are not interested or not able to back, then just stand by while we figure out if we can perfect this and if people are interested. And if so, then we will take it into a more public run. And this is also not the same as the actual play recording that's set as one of the Patreon milestones. For example, this is not being done live. This doesn't involve some of the RPG level celebrities that we want to get involved in that type of recording So this is just something we're doing on a lark, and we'll see whether it goes anywhere or not. All right, so what I'm going to discuss today is a question that comes from our Facebook group. A gentleman by the name of Steve posted it. He actually led off by saying, We generally only ever use homebrew systems and play games about 75% RP and 25 combat. And I stopped right there, and my first thought was, Steve, you have arrived. I'm not clear what it is we can do for you. But as the post went on, here's the question that Steve brought up. Some characters are going to be significantly stronger in combat than others, but others more social and have advantages of relationships, money, and reputation. Simply, what's your advice on making a system that's fair for players that want to be important, but not feel weak and useless during combat sections? If fighting against powerful opponents... Uh, without the cop-out of splitting them up all the time. All right now, Steve, I think you were on the right track there. Splitting the party up based on what's going on is, I don't think, really a great way to run a game, at least not as a sort of de facto position for trying to move the action forward. 
because there's nothing more boring than sitting on the sidelines. But the issue that Steve raises is that sometimes the nature of the game or the nature of the characters, even if they are present, sidelines them anyway. And you can see this in a number of games because if the characters have any form of specialization, of any form of uniqueness to them, then there are going to be circumstances where certain types of characters shine and certain types of characters don't. Now, in some role-playing games, this isn't an issue because the way the rules work or the way that the game master's conducting them, these happen so quickly that nobody really notices. I mean, you might spend a few minutes on the sidelines, but it's not like this is going on for significant plot points or long periods of time. There are other times that this becomes painfully obvious. For example, if you have somebody who built the combat titan, but then we have a whole series of sessions where back-to-back, it's just hour after hour of role-playing and negotiation and intrigue, and they're really struggling to find a way to contribute to that in character. Or we can flip that scenario and say, well, you might be having a series of heavy combats, but somebody's playing the face man maybe not only can't meaningfully contribute, but indeed they can't even step onto the scene without risking themselves in a serious way. I see this fairly often when I run science fiction. If you've got weapons that are going at a really, really high level, I mean, we're talking far future, you know, people shooting particle cannons back and forth, and the combatants are wearing some kind of, you know, powered armor or whatever, but you've got a guy in the party who's a biologist or whatever, and if he steps out, he can't take one of these hits. He just can't even really be on the scene. If you look at fantasy, you can still see this kind of thing. We need to infiltrate the castle. We need to break in and steal an item. Well, that's great for the rogue types in the party, but what is somebody who doesn't have any relevant skills supposed to do? You know, suddenly the big beefy barbarian has nothing better to do than just sit on the sidelines. Or somebody decided to create one of the optional classes and make someone that's more of a skill-heavy character or even a non-combat class, like an aristocrat. You know, they might have great social skills, but the minute swords and spells start getting thrown around, this person is just completely and wildly out of their league. All right, so what do you do to try and bring together these kinds of characters and not bore the players behind them without falling back on some cheap answer like, well, when the shots fly, we're just going to do something ahead of time to simply not have the people that can't take that even be on the scene. The first question, and I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think there's likely a solution here, but I don't think you'd be doing yourself any favors by not flipping this stone. And the question is, how did we get here in the first place? Why is it that characters were made in a way that they were so specialized that they can't offer anything to a diversity of scenes? So let me describe this in terms of an actual game. Now, it may be true that in order to be good at something like being the face man, that you do have to buff up certain attributes like charisma or socialization or whatever it is in a particular game. And you have to be sure to take certain skills and certain perks to make sure you can do that. But does the system, and this is an honest question, this is not a rhetorical one, does the system give you enough extra points 
to diversify the character, to say, okay, maybe I'm not going to be great at combat. I'm going to put most of my points over here. But can I come up with enough extra points to get some kind of skill in gun use or sword play or something just so I'm not completely out in the cold? Do I really have to be hardcore min-max straight down one alley to the complete neglect of all of the other ones? And something that I have done in some of my games, Battletech in particular comes to mind for this with the MechWarrior RPG, and this has often helped this issue, is I might give them bonus skill points at character creation, but insist that they have to use them in diversifying ways. Now, sometimes, once again, depending on the system, it's not necessary. Uh, for example, in my favorite edition of Mech Warrior, second edition, there's a basic skill package. You can put your character through a mech academy or through a basic university training where there are certain skills that you are required to take. And so you come out of the gate already diversified just a little bit. And it's not great, but it's enough to assure that you have some value both in and out of the mech. But there's other times in a whole variety of games where I've said, okay, I'll give you some bonus character creation points and exactly what form that takes depends upon the system, a free perk, a few skill points, an extra level, whatever. But I stipulate that this has to be put into something other than your character's specialty. And the idea is to head this off right from the get-go to make sure that you'll, I mean, you won't be special and you won't be the best in every circumstance, but you'll at least have something to contribute. So I would at least start by looking there. But I do accept that depending upon the system and depending upon just how focused the players are about what they want their characters to be, this may not be where the solution is going to lie. This ties into my second thought, which is you as the game master might want to tweak the characters a bit to give them some ability to contribute. Let's go back to the sci-fi example. If I have somebody in the party who's more of an intellect or a social person and combat is just so far over their head, one of the things I found that I can do is say, okay, I'm going to give you some kind of mid to low grade armor and a mid to low grade weapon. And maybe we're going to lean towards something that's not super difficult to use. For example, a weapon that has spread to it, like a shotgun. So it's pretty easy for you to hit even with a crappy skill. And you're not going to shine in that. You're not going to be nearly as powerful or as useful as the grizzled veteran soldier is. But you at least can contribute something. Okay, or if you're playing the soldier type, you know, I'm not going to give you all the skills that the scientist has, but maybe built into your armor is some kind of like a, a multi-spectrum viewing tool or some kind of a really limited library of information that might give your characters some tips. So it's going to function as if it was a really low-level science or investigation skill. So if the scientist isn't thinking of something Maybe I can just have your friendly little assistant AI pop up with something. D&D is great for this and that you can accomplish it with magical items. Because the guy who's got all the social skills, well, depending on the class and depending on the type of item, may still be able to activate a magical item that gives them some kind of purpose in combat or something they can summon and control. And I suppose that's another way that you could tweak what's going on, which is to throw in 
an NPC or some kind of a construct, a robot, a golem, I don't know, whatever is appropriate to your game, that an individual can control in those situations when otherwise they would just be sitting on the sidelines. Option three, and this one gets a little bit more complicated because you've got to know the ins and outs of the rule system you're dealing with, but I would revisit the rules to allow people to contribute when they normally couldn't. So broadly speaking, I'm talking about things like having social skills play a role in combat or combat skills play a role in socialization. All right, let me give you some examples here that I've actually used in games. The thief or the rogue or whatever may be sneaking through the palace, but when you get to a lock, it may be possible that you can either pick the lock or someone with a high enough strength can simply force the lock. This is something that I've seen some game masters try to head off, but I think to an extent you ought to encourage it. Now, you don't want to let somebody never shine. You don't want the warrior to be so good at this that the rogue never has a chance to do their thing, but you can allow them to do it a little bit. When I'm playing a game like Battletech, I allow things like somebody who has a really high skill in psychology or really high skill in protocol or something like that. They might be able to do something else. For example, even if they're not all that useful in the battlefield, they might be able to listen in on enemy communications or look at the battlefield and make some educated guesses about what the enemy's going to do or where people are going to show up or where the ambushes are. And based on how they roll, I might give them very real and very actionable information. And so even if they're not contributing shot by shot, they have some purpose to be there. They have something to think about, something to muddle out, something that they can do on their turn other than just twiddle their thumbs. If we reverse this and go back to a social situation, you know, if you're trying to bluff your way through and the guy that's got all the social skills isn't doing it, well, then maybe a soldier who has protocol skills or knows the inside of the military, give them a quick check. You know, let them roll on it. See if maybe they know the ins and outs of how to bluff their way through this or to simply pull rank or, you know, to just speak the language, even just to have that camaraderie. You know, heck, not even everything has to come down to quantifiable roles. You can look at qualifiable things where the individual they're talking to may have some reason to feel an affinity towards them. Well, here's a fellow soldier, for example, or I follow the same religion that you do if it's you're talking about like a priest. The fourth thing that I would try to do is I would not let any type of scene linger too long. So if I know that my players have specialized their characters to write down an alleyway that this person's really good at combat but no good at socialization and vice versa, then I would do my best not to have those scenes linger indefinitely. I would try very hard not to have three hours of combat or to have three hours of pure RP and get a read of the table. I mean, if you notice that somebody has not had anything to say or do in a long time, Either encourage them to get involved, show them how they can get involved, and this may take some training because they may not even know what their options are, but try to draw them into the scene. And if you can't, well, consider possibly trying to get that scene moving along so you can get the spotlight back to somebody else before they get too bored. Now, this is another one that I'm not sure is the best of solutions because I think if it becomes your default answer, then you lose the ability to ever explore any particular scene in depth because Phytor is getting bored. 
The fifth option, and this is one that I have had great success with, is complicate the scenario. For example, in a convention game that I ran, there was a firefight that was going on. All right, so obviously this takes care of what the combat-oriented characters are doing. They're trading shots back and forth with some individuals that were on the same space station. Now, while this is going on, there was an individual in there that did not have any combat skills, but this person was a hacker. And so I gave them the option. I said, okay, you're cowering behind this, this counter, but if you look at your data pad, you've got some level of access to the networks if you can start giving me some good hacking skill checks, you might be able to do things like open certain doors so the party has avenues of escape or close certain doors to block off some of the enemy reinforcements from arriving or setting off a sprinkler system or a halon gas system or something to try and create some confusion. And so there were alternatives to what this person could do. I think what really this point relies on most is having a nuanced view of both the setting and the situation and the factors that are involved. Let's say you're dealing with a merchant situation. So all we're going to do is we're going to walk into town and somebody who's really good at negotiation and appraisal and stuff is going to try and offload some loot that you guys have or a shipment of some goods that you've brought in. Okay. What else is going on here? Well, if the person you're dealing with is a skilled negotiator, they might bring some muscle to try and intimidate you. Or even if they come alone, it's possible that your muscle might intimidate them. And so now all of a sudden the combat person is there as a deterrent against combat. You know, if you draw your weapons, we'll draw ours, and this is going to get ugly. But it's not just that. They also can do things like start to say, you know, hey, I'm going to look a little bit edgy, look a little bit crazy. I'm going to, you know, give them some dice checks against skills like intimidate or give them the opportunity to role play that if the merchant starts getting a little too bold or a little bit too aggressive, that this seven foot tall guy steps up and, you know, kind of gives them a what's up sort of look and this backs things down a bit. If you've got people that are the face man in the middle of combat, well, make sure that they know things or, or demonstrate to them that if the enemy side is losing the battle, that if you've got someone who's got some social skills there, that they might be able to exert those to start throwing out somewhat charisma-type things. Try and convince them. If you stop fighting, we'll let you go. Or, hey, they're not paying you enough for this. You know, you're losing. You're about to die I'm going to guess you've got family somewhere. Are they really paying you enough to die over something that you don't even own? You know, it's the old boss makes a dollar, I make a dime line of reasoning. Or if you corner them, you know, once the battle's over, that if you've got some of good charisma skills, they might be able to get a piece of information out of them. And I think here's, here's the point I would end on. Is there's something of a mental exercise that you can do as the game master ahead of time to try and check your math, so to speak, to make sure that there's at least a little something everyone can bring. And the way that I would go about that is look at a situation on paper. Say, okay, and I know you can't always predict this because you don't know what the player characters are going to do, but I think doing this enough times 
uh, first of all, is good practice for when you didn't expect it. And secondly, we'll guarantee that at least some of the scenes are sufficiently nuanced that the times people are benched, at least it isn't, you know, the entire game. But what I would do is I'd look at your plot points, say, all right, when they walk into here, there's going to be an ambush. Now ask yourself, all right, I've got four players at my table. These two are combat oriented. These two aren't. What can I do to involve them? What is it they do have? And how can I involve that somehow in the situation? You know, while this firefight's going on, what skills do they have that I could give them the option of getting involved with? How can I work those into the scene somehow? Is there some kind of text that they could be translating that might give clues as to how these enemy monsters work? Is there some kind of computer they can be hacking? Is there some third party that's observing this that doesn't want to commit that a negotiator might be able to sway to one side or the other or make a quick deal with? Can I add in something that's going to complicate the situation a bit? But the point of complicating it is to make sure that everybody has something to do. And in the same way, if I'm looking at a social situation or an intellectual situation or a religious situation or whatever it is, Start looking down the list of characters and be familiar with the way they're role-playing them and what's on the character sheet and try and make sure that they've got something, as as often as you can, that they can bring to the table. Now, this may go back to the points I made earlier about diversifying the characters and giving them a few buttons to where, okay, maybe they can contribute something even if it's not their primary min-max. But even if for some weird reason you can't diversify the character and you can't convince the player to stop min-maxing into such a heavy specialty, then I think you as the game master can look at the scene and find ways to get them involved, even if the situation otherwise is really not their thing. So Steve, I hope that answers your question and gives you some things to think about. Those are things that have at least worked for me in the past, and I hope they will work for you. As for the rest of you guys, uh, we will be back this coming episode with once again a much more normal sort of recording, and we'll get back into the swing of things. And as always, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.